Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for being here today. Well, last week we read Daniel chapter 5, focusing on the Babylonian king, Belshazzar. And thankfully, only one chapter of this book focuses on Belshazzar. And I say that because he is presented as a thoroughly unlikable figure. And when God warns the prideful and irreverent king of coming judgment, Belshazzar, quite literally, fails to read the writing on the wall. Unlike Nebuchadnezzar before him, Belshazzar does not repent of his sin. There are no signs of faith. He offers no worship. And Belshazzar dies that very night. His kingdom falling with him. So in the end, Belshazzar is a cautionary tale of the dangers of pride. His example serves as a warning for us to repent of our own sinful pride before it's too late. So now in Daniel 6, there's a new king and a new kingdom in town. Nebuchadnezzar's dream of kings rising and falling has become a reality. Darius, also known as Cyrus, is the new boss. Babylon is old and busted. The kingdom of the Medes and Persians is the new hotness. But even through all this cataclysmic change, guess who remains the same? It's our old friend Daniel. And this morning, as we saw in chapters 1 and 2, Daniel gives us a challenging, inspiring, and perhaps convicting lesson about faithfulness to God in the face of great opposition. And how might we follow Daniel's example? Open up to Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one. And take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we move ahead, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit who lives within us. Thank you for your word that we get to read. And thank you for your church. Not just this church. As wonderful as these people are and as much as this place means to us. Thank you that your church goes far beyond Prairie View. Thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ in different places, worshiping in possibly very different circumstances than we are. With all this talk of great opposition for our faith, it's hard not to read the book of Daniel and think about brothers and sisters in Christ who are facing persecution far greater than what we've known in other places in the world. And so we lift them up to you. And Lord, I pray that we would be the faithful church you call us to be, that we would be the faithful Christians you call us to be, that we would assume our place and take our place and fulfill our role in the story that you've written, the story that you're writing, that we would be faithful in the places and the times that you've put us. Again, thank you for the privilege of being here this morning in this place with these people at this church. I pray that our worship here today would be honoring to you. And thank you for the body and blood of Christ. Thank you for the death and resurrection of Christ. 
Thank you that we can remember that at communion, looking back on Jesus' death. But Lord, help us also look ahead to your return. And I pray that you would help us stay faithful, stay awake, and be ready for that time when you come. Again, Lord, we love you, we glorify you, we worship you, we thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, about two months ago, I was on an early morning run on 116th Street in Fishers, right at the intersection of 116th and Holland. And I looked to my right, and in a patch of grass standing 50 feet away from me was a fairly large coyote. And that coyote had some little rodent in its mouth. The coyote looked at me. I looked at the coyote. He picked up his meal, ran off. I kept running. End of story. But I will admit that I was looking over my shoulder for a minute or two just to make 100% sure that he didn't want a bigger snack. Now, you always hear that coyotes are just as scared of you as you are of them. So in the end, I probably wasn't in any real danger at any point. But what if that coyote had been a hungry lion? If that were the case, I probably wouldn't be standing in front of you today. Because lions, at least the thought of them outside of a cage at a zoo, strike fear in our hearts. They're the kings and queens of the jungle. Biblical figures like Samson and David appear so heroic partly because of their victories over lions. There's a movie in theaters right now where actor Idris Elba, who should be the next James Bond, by the way, but that's another sermon, has to protect himself, his friends, and his children from a ferocious lion in the savannah. So even though I'm unlikely to encounter a lion on 116th Street, the thought is still quite frightening. And this morning, the prophet Daniel has to take on real lions. So, chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction 
that whoever makes petition to any God or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. So once again, a pagan ruler gets a good impression of Daniel. And we've seen this play out before. Darius detects an excellent spirit in Daniel in verse 3. That may be a way of simply referring to Daniel's good character, his proven integrity, or his profound wisdom. But Christians like us know that that excellent spirit is something more. We may view Daniel as one of those Old Testament figures whom God anoints with his Holy Spirit for a specific time and a specific reason. Daniel's reputation is so sparkling that those around him become jealous. But he's also so above reproach that when his peers try to dig up some dirt on him, they find nothing. At least until they connive to use his faith against him. They suspect that Daniel's faithfulness and obedience to the one true God may be his one liability. Their plot is a sinister, organized, and corrupt conspiracy put together by a whole team of adversaries. Verses 6, 11, and 15 all tell us that this group comes to the king by agreement. This truly is a conspiracy. They'll catch Daniel disobeying an irrevocable, unpardonable law. One that ends with a punishment no one could possibly escape. A night in the lion's den. And just for good measure, they make the law temporary. Thirty days is all that they'll need to get Daniel out of the picture. And King Darius, somewhat absent-mindedly, it appears... Rubber stamps the whole thing. There's no turning back now. So once again, Daniel has a choice to make. Does he pray to God or does he not? But really, it's more complicated than that. If you think about it, Daniel has a few options here. So he could just wait it out. Surely God will understand 30 days of silence. And if Daniel's adversaries extend or repeat the injunction, well, he can cross that bridge when he gets there. Or Daniel could just practice his faith in private. He could go underground and keep his prayers hidden. Or Daniel could even try to protest. He's clearly got a lot of pull with King Darius. And maybe they can find some way around the Median and Persian conventions about irrevocable laws. So what will Daniel do? What does faithfulness to God look like in these extreme circumstances? 
in a similar situation, what would you do? Picking up in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So Daniel doesn't take any of those three compromises. Rather, he does what he's always done. He lives faithfully to God, no matter what the worldly consequences might be. Knowing the law, Daniel prayed three times. Knowing that his enemies were watching, he prayed with the windows open. Knowing the punishment that lie ahead, Daniel prayed. He changed nothing. That one verse is absolutely packed with meaning. But the detail that sticks out to me is that Daniel prays toward Jerusalem. In Psalm 137, we read about exiles weeping by the rivers of Babylon. And they say, if I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. Even after all this time in Babylon, some 70 years by now, Daniel remembers Jerusalem. He remembers the one true God. Daniel remembers who he is, and he refuses to stray from it. So we read in verse 11. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction. O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, well, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. And set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Uh-uh-uh. Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep 
fled from him. So poor old Daniel walked right into his enemy's trap, didn't he? How careless of him. How naive. How stubborn. How imprudent. Hasn't Daniel read the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 13 about submitting to governing authorities? Well, no, because those words were written 600 years later, but you get my point. And it's too late now. The slightly incompetent Darius cannot get Daniel out of this mess, though his genuine concern for Daniel shouldn't go unnoticed. What it comes down to is that Daniel made his bed, and now he must lie in it. And unfortunately, he'll share that bed with a lion. No earthly king can save him now. Verse 19. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children and their wives And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So as we've come to expect in the book of Daniel, God comes Daniel is saved. Darius is relieved. The enemies of God and his people are punished in a cruel, shocking, but all too common way in the ancient world. You know, in hindsight, there was one gaping hole in the seemingly ingenious plot against Daniel. The sentence was not death. The sentence was being cast into the den of lions. Daniel's opponents never dreamed that someone might survive. They had no contingency plan for that outcome. 
But maybe Daniel knew that he might survive. Like with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, an angel appears. Daniel is delivered. And Darius praises God. In the early days of the church, when Christians lived under Roman emperors who were less than sympathetic to their faith, God's people faced similarly brutal forms of persecution. And one of the most gruesome must have been when Christians were marched to the center of the Colosseum, when bored and bloodthirsty crowds would ooh and ah when the lions were released. The truth is that for every Daniel, someone miraculously saved by God from a lion's mouth, there were countless believers whose stories we don't read and whose names we don't remember who were not. Nevertheless, the graves of many early Christians were decorated with pictures of Daniel standing unharmed Among lions. Why is that? Before we answer that question, let's consider a few practical lessons from Daniel 6. First, even if you do everything right as a believer in Jesus, there may still be those who seek to do you harm. Christians sometimes naively think that as long as we follow Jesus' example, as long as we love our neighbors, care for the weak and downtrodden of society, and avoid the worst stereotypes that non-believers have about us, then everything will be fine in this life. But that simply isn't always the case. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, the apostle answers a question that many have asked for a long time. Why did Cain kill Abel in Genesis 4? John's answer, because Cain's own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. It's that simple. Abel did everything right and got murdered. Job did everything right and endured unspeakable loss. Daniel did everything right and got a night with the lions. As we discussed in Daniel 3 with the fiery furnace, a life of faithfulness does not guarantee that we will avoid all forms of suffering. But that doesn't negate God's inherent goodness or his gracious love for us. We worship God for who he unchangeably is, no matter what's happening around us. Second, it's worth thinking about. What lions might we have to stare down today? Again, it's unlikely that I'll ever bump into a physical lion on a morning run. But the Bible has room for metaphorical lions that we may have to deal with. In Psalm 7, verses 1 and 2, David compares his enemies to lions trying to tear his soul apart. And in 1 Peter 5, 8, the apostle compares the devil himself 
to a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We should be honest about the fact that there are very real threats to God's people around today. There are those who oppose God and oppose us. And of course, there's Satan himself. But we also know that in the end, our God is stronger than they are. And finally, the challenge of Daniel 6. Even in the midst of the lions, remember and be who you are. Daniel refused to compromise his faith and his practice at great personal cost. That's because he remembered who he was above all else. A servant of God. He embodied the later words of the apostles in Acts chapter 5 verse 29. Obeying God rather than men when forced to choose. You, brother or sister in Christ, are adopted by God the Father, justified by God the Son, and being made holy by God the Spirit. Remember who you are. Be who you are. Including in those moments when you're tempted to close the windows a little bit to avoid scrutiny. Or to avoid suffering. Remember who you are and be who you are. Do it openly. Do it unashamedly. Live out your faith with courage, humility, and dignity. Come what may. But back to that question we asked earlier. Why did early Christians some of whom were literally killed by lions, have pictures of Daniel on their graves. After all, it has to be said that God did not deliver them. No angel showed up in their time of need. They weren't vindicated and promoted to positions of power and wealth. No VBS curriculums have been modeled around those people. Christians like us love to quote Romans 8, verse 28, where Paul writes, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's be real. Did all things work together for good for those early Christians mauled by lions? In this life, no. But they also knew that this life isn't all there is. There are lions far more dangerous than the ones Darius collected for hunting. Or that Roman emperors used for entertainment. Those lions have names like sin, death, and judgment. Those early Christians may not have been delivered from physical lions. But sin, death, and and judgment had no hold on them. They were saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And while their bodies may have been torn to shreds and laid in tombs, their souls were quite all right. 
And they knew that one day those bodies would be raised. Because their Lord's body was raised. In that sense, they overcame the lions. In that eternal sense, God did and God will work all things together for their good. There's no guarantee that God will deliver his people from every hardship in this life. Sometimes we get sick and we pray and we don't get better. Sometimes the church is stamped out by persecution in some places. Sometimes we protest the king's food and we end up starving. Sometimes we're burned. Sometimes the lions eat. Sometimes it appears that Satan has had the last laugh. As Daniel shows us, and as Hebrews 11.33 reminds us, God has the power to stop lions' mouths. Though sometimes he might not. But even then, in the eternal scheme of things, God wins. And so do we. He works all things together for our good. And sin, death, and judgment cannot touch those who place their hopes in Jesus Christ. So at the end of the day, we do not have to fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, we fear, we love, we honor, we worship, we obey the Father who sent his Son to die for us. By the Spirit's power, we remember who we are, even when it costs us something. We practice our faith openly, boldly, and unashamedly. With the windows open, we live with courage, dignity, and humility, come what may. We stare down the lions in front of us, knowing that the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, has our backs. And that all things work together for good for those who love him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you again for this time we have to worship you. And thank you that you really, truly do work all things together for good for those who love you. We might not always see the good in this life. We might see a lot of bad. We might see a lot of suffering and pain and loss. Some of it directly attributed to our faith in you. But that doesn't change the fact that you do work all things together for our good in the eternal sense. And though we might not be spared from every single lion that crosses our path, we have complete, utter confidence that you spare us from the consequences of sin. You spare us from eternal death. You spare us from everlasting judgment but that is only because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. So, Lord, thank you that you've given us victory through Jesus Christ, that no matter how much suffering we might endure in this life, we know what eternity has in store for us. 
We know that we will be in your presence. We know that we will rise. And we know that we will see your face. So with all that in mind, give us courage, give us endurance, give us faith, give us confidence, give us joy, even when faithfulness to you comes at great personal risk. Help us love you, follow you, and obey you, come what may, until we see your face. We love you, we honor you, we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.